Legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Welcome to Let's Talk Legacy. I'm your host, Gary Michaels, and we're really excited about our guest today, Dr. Emily Bashaw. She's a clinical psychologist and author and a Jewish Iraqi woman whose parents fled Iraq in the 1980s after persecution under Saddam Hussein. She's a co-author of a new book, Addictive Ideologies, Finding Meaning and Agency When Politics Fail You. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So your story begins a generation ago with your parents in Iraq. Let's start there. What were the circumstances like when you were born and what led them from your remembrance and what they've shared with you to flee the country? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to deep dive into my parents' story and definitely is a big part of my legacy and honestly, the main motivating factor for me to write the book and co-author it with my husband, Paul Johnson. And, you know, one of the questions I had when I was 12 years old was really trying to uncover and understand my parents' survival of persecution as Jews in Iraq, in Baghdad specifically, during the rise of Saddam Hussein's power during the, the rise of the Ba'ath Party. And as that was happening, there was a lot of seclusion and oppression of the Jewish community. Their bank accounts were being seized. There was no permission for travel outside of the country. The houses were being um, robbed and looted. People were disappearing. My mother's father, my maternal grandfather, was taken, abducted by the government in an unmarked car, and we never heard from him again or got any confirmation of his death. And I think, you know, people who have survived such atrocities such as that and trauma such as that, and it's happened all over the world where you just never know what happened to a loved one. It's a haunting that lasts for a lifetime. And I think for my mother, it left her with a deep sense of guilt, not knowing if she could have saved him, if she could have done more. Certainly, she risked her own life by going and talking to uh, authorities uh, and demanding that they release her father. And she was a young woman just starting college at that time. That could have led her into jail herself. And there were all kinds of efforts from family members trying to find him. My grandfather was an influential man. He was a quiet man, but yet trusted within the Jewish community. We don't even know exactly what he did, but we think he was involved in some kind of trade um, and people trusted him with their money and invested with him. And when he disappeared, his business was ransacked and all of his wealth was stolen and apprehended. So it was so interesting, even after the U.S. invasion of Iraq, 
there were documents that were confiscated from the Iraqi government, and they kept records of who they abducted, who they tortured, how they tortured them. We learned of horrific torture that was occurring during that time. Saddam Hussein was holding torture parties in the jail that my grandfather was detained in. It was called the Palace of No Return because once you're entered into it, you're never found or released from it. You know, so that that is an intergenerational trauma. This year marked the 50th anniversary of my grandfather's disappearance. And so it was so symbolic for Paul and I to publish our book on the 50th anniversary year of my grandfather's disappearance. I have to say there was like a spiritual justice that felt like it had been served. You know, right. to say to a government, you think that you can steal a family member and just make him go away and dis- disappear from the world and life. But there is a legacy and there is a story that survives beyond matter, beyond physical matter. And and that's the story that we continue to tell. And it's a powerful legacy. I feel honored to be Jewish. I feel honored to raise my daughter Jewish and for her to inherit this powerful legacy. um, It's one of courage. It's one of resilience. It's one of survival of family values and persistence and to not see oneself as a victim. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that. How did your parents stay strong? How did they get through that at that time from what you understand? And how, how have you over the years been able to, I'm not a victim here and we're not victims. What can we do to improve this? Yeah, you know, they're Arab Jews. We are Arab Jews. It is like, it's in our blood. It's in our ways. It's in our customs. It's in our traditions. And my parents, they lost their homes. They lost their family wealth. They had family members who were tortured and killed. This is unfortunately a common story, but it also strengthens us as a community because we are survivors. And we push on, we persist, and we continue, and we live on. And and that is a form of justice, really, and what we can promote, create, shape, and inform as part of what we leave behind and what we pass on. Right. You know, this generational trauma, it happens in so many countries and so many different generations. And it seems the work you're doing is turning this into something positive. Yeah, how we frame ourselves matters. What we found was that really people can become more radicalized and are at risk of this extremism in their ideology if they see an outgroup or an outsider as an oppressor. Because now it's offering them this justification to be violent towards them, to dehumanize them, to objectify them. And our perception and perspective is so important and such integral to to my work. Perception matters. Um, The next step is there is an addiction that happens because people can become so prone to this and hold on to it so tightly that they have this victim mindset. Um, And really, that's what's mediating uh, a lot of these violent trends and making them more at risk to to become more extreme in their beliefs and their behaviors and gravitate towards people that think and act that way and remove themselves from people who have differences of opinions, even if it's their family members, people that they love. There's a crazy political climate that we've kind of been in in the last 
three to five years. Is that is that making this even a bigger issue or what's happening right now around our world with so much craziness going on? <laughs> yeah. And, and we see this extremist rhetoric that is happening. And I think people who are going to gravitate towards that are people who are resentful, have that victim mindset, have a grudge. If you just take something away from us that we thought that we should have and tell us who to blame for it, it can be a very convenient story and narrative for us to latch on to. And that's really the risk in what we're seeing here today is like people aren't having conversations. And there's this moral superiority that my view is right over yours. And why should I even open myself to try to understand your perspective? You know, going back to my parents' story, you were asking, well, you know, how did they do this? What did they teach you? I think a a big part of it is, well, there's two things. There's gratitude and resilience. Resilience, you know, it's more than just a word. It's so much of a practice. And finding joy in life, if you don't have meaning and purpose in your life, there is nothing driving you. Don't reach for happiness. That should not be your ultimate goal and purpose. It should be meaning and purpose. Usually that's tied to giving back um, to community, helping others, um, having a drive in your life and being dedicated to it. So, you know, our show, like I said, beginning is Let's Talk Legacy. So I wanted to dig into some questions for you about what legacy means. Um, It seems obvious that free will plays a role in creating and crafting your life and your legacy. but, But explain how that is. Yeah, free will. I mean, so much of it, I think, is tied to self-discovery, self-exploration, personal agency. Paul and I write about that in our book. If you're not owning your life and you're allowing others to dictate how to think, how to act, um, you know, social rules are important to follow. Norms are important to follow. Um, but, But I'm talking about something so much deeper than that. It's you know, why are you here? What is your life about? What do you want to be remembered for when you die? If we think about those things and we can kind of push the outside noise aside and really touch who we are, there's a guiding light inside of us. We all have the propensity for good and evil. There's something so powerful to that, but it it can be so hard and people can get so caught up in their own pain, their own misery, their own losses. I'm not saying that challenges and suffering and losses and grief don't exist. And I understand getting pulled into the darkness. And sometimes, you know, I'm sitting with a person in the darkness and that's all that I can do in that moment. But I think if people can really find something to live for that's that's beyond them, that's going to hold them to life and, and maybe experience that gratitude for life. There was one Holocaust survivor, I'll never forget her story. She said she had given up on everything. She gave up on God she gave up on life. She get, her whole family was killed. Her life, like she was just barely like skin and bones. And she was giving up and she looked at a tree and she saw that it was turning into spring. And there were just some little tiny baby buds of flowers, like not quite open yet, but just starting to appear on, on a tree. And she said, you know, something is telling me to hold on. That's a sign of life. And sure enough, it was several weeks after that our camp was liberated. Man, wow. Well, you know, you're a mother. We were speaking about that 
prior to the show today. And the legacy you're passed on to your daughter is really important to you. So you say there are three crucial things to incorporate into the legacy you pass into future generations and also some ways that parents can create healthy boundaries with their child. And I know there's a lot of people that are listening to our show today that are parents and uh, would love to get tips and ideas on how to to be better with that. So walk us through some of those things that we should be learning as parents. I'd be happy to. Yeah. As I raise my two and a half year old daughter, I cannot help but think about how she inherits this multi-generational trauma. And there is richness and sacredness that she inherits through that. While there is inevitably loss and pain, trauma and grief, there's also strength, power, values, honor, and integrity. And that those are from my parents directly from what they survived in their stories. There is a strength in surviving trauma. And I work with a lot of trauma survivors and no trauma is alike. Um, and this becomes embedded in identity. And there is a profound meaning and like purpose that becomes a part of a family's inherited legacy. This is a sacred gift. And as a psychologist and a 44-year-old woman, I thought deeply about how to plan my daughter's development and how I would raise her and shape her and what was important to me, what values I want to raise her with. And I've read a lot on parenting advice. Oh my gosh, there's so much conflicting information out there. It can be overwhelming. Um, but having a toddler in itself is filled with life lessons. And more importantly, she's given me a greater degree of humility I have much greater respect for the challenges of being a parent and for my parents' sacrifices and the unconditional love that they have for me. Certainly every child is different and what we do with one child just may not work with another. For a parent who has any like multiple children, they'll know that. And everything we do to raise a child ends up becoming part of this 30-year experiment. We don't know. We hope that everything turns out okay. Right, right. We'll for sure. They get older. Hopefully they don't hate us or blame us. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are a few things that I'm certain. One is the importance of how we frame ourselves as parents. Uh, the second is gratitude. And the third is the importance of giving children a chance to experience life through discovery, even at a young age, with as little interference as possible from a parent so that they can be proud of what they're accomplishing on their own and developing their own sense of identity, autonomy, and self-esteem and confidence and courage. I can't stress this enough. How we frame ourselves matter. Children mirror and model after us. Sometimes we think like, oh, I'm teaching my child this way, but we're showing them and modeling them something different. They're going to pick up what we're not purposely intentionally teaching and more what we're doing on the side. And that's amazing how the little things we do that we don't realize we're doing as parents when they're younger affects them for the rest of their life. So it's just, you're so right about giving them that autonomy to become themselves, okay? And not just who you are, because we're we're imperfect human beings, right? We're not perfect. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Gratitude. You, you mentioned gratitude twice today on this, and I so believe gratitude is important. I mean, my God, just makes you a happier person. It's really hard to be grateful and then negative like right afterwards, right? It's, it's physically impossible. So talk to me a little bit about gratitude, how that plays into your work and what you personally believe. Yeah. Gratitude for those who came before us with the stories that we tell of them. Gratitude for where we are and who we are. 
gratitude for our children. Um, you know, my parents were always grateful for being able to immigrate to America with all the freedoms and liberties and opportunities provided if you only worked hard and they had such a hardworking immigrant ethic. Um, you know, I aspire to transmit this optimist perspective to my daughter as she is the grandchild of courageous survivors. And from gratitude comes joy, which is an important emotion for children to mirror. If you are joyful, they will enjoy their time more with you. At the end of the night, when I'm cuddling with my daughter in bed, I tell her what I appreciated about her that day. I tell her how much fun I had with her at the park or swimming with her um, or playing outside with her. And, um, and that she's such a smart child and I have so much fun with her. And I think they hear that it resonates with them. They will want to be with us if we're joyful with them and enjoy them. And they will seek us out, not just when they are two, but hopefully throughout their lifetime. Sure, sure. You talked a little bit today about your book that you worked on with Paul, Addictive Ideologies, Finding Meaning and Agency When Politics Fail You. Could you tell us a little bit more about your book and the main message in it? Yeah, so really we were trying to uncover, you know, what are the the psychological and political underpinnings of growing extremism that we're seeing nationally and globally. We recently just went to Bosnia and met with key political and community leaders, interviewing them about their experiences during the genocide and also how they're repairing their country, their cultural identity and their growing conflict in politics, how they're trying to find peace and harmony and move a path moving forward um, with inevitable challenges, you know, working towards peace building, really trying to understand intractable, protracted ethnic conflict um, and how there could be a way out. You know, unfortunately, we're seeing this growing national divide here in the U.S., and there is an us versus them rhetoric. And that is so dangerous because that is really what led to the political persecution in Iraq. And I'm, you know, I'm very aware, hypervigilantly aware that this could happen here. We like to think that it happens overseas in places like Iraq or Afghanistan or Bosnia. Um, but people who have survived that kind of trauma really understand how quickly it could happen here. And I think we can't let that freedom and liberty and personal agency and accountability be taken for granted. And our democracy is a really wonderful thing. I mean, what our founding fathers have created for us is not something to just give up on. It's something worth fighting for and preserving. And it's scary to see how this divide is, hurting people. It's hurting people in an independent level. People are afraid to have conversations with people that they love because they don't want to upset them or make them angry or create further discord or disharmony. They don't know what kind of topics or conversations to bring up during the holiday season when they're sitting around the dinner table because everyone's like all on edge and they just want to know like, are you in my camp or the other camp? And that is so dangerous. We have to be able to communicate with people we disagree with. We have to still be able to respect them. We still have to come to some kind of shared understanding. If we don't see the shared humanity in us all, that is a risk factor for losing what we've created and what we've got here. And it is 
so worthy of preserving. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn said in his book, in the Gulag Archipelago, you know, we all have capacity for good and evil inside of us. We all do. And it's whether or not we choose. And a politician or a leader who is giving us some kind of simple rhetoric to help fuel our rage or paranoia or fear, be aware. And there are psychological processes that happen here when the amygdala, we call it, it's the amygdala hijack. When your emotions get amplified, such as fear, hypervigilance, or paranoia, you feel like your life is under threat. You aren't using your frontal lobe, which is needed for executive function and judgment and appreciating consequences and rationality and optimism. And so you are going to be more primed at that point to really listen and gravitate towards what they have to say, because you just want a simple solution. And usually simple solutions that people or leaders like that are giving us are ones that are fueled by hatred and and resentment and violence. And really there's a benefit that they get to making you fearful. So being aware of your agency, how you're losing control and your power, who you're giving your power to um, are all really critical. And we talk about this in various episodes that we do on the optimistic American. We, we kind of branch out from our book into going into some kind of like psychological tips and strategies that are very practical that people can practice in their family life and their business and political engagement while still maintaining their control and power and agency over their lives. I was going to ask you about the Optimist American. It's basically taking the work of your book and, and bringing it to community and letting people talk about it and ask questions and keeping it in the forefront. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And Paul comes from the political sphere. So he served two terms as mayor in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, in the 90s. And so his main focus and purpose is really to limit and eradicate extremism in politics today. He brings a lot of guests talking about what's happening more in the political sphere and, and presenting lots of different solutions with political reform, political change, various things. And I bring in the psychological piece. Right. We'll talk about psychology. What does legacy mean to you in your life as a psychologist? You know, I think it's it's what you are able to leave behind and who you inspire, who you touch, who you transform, I think is the greatest gift that you can give to anybody. You know, I was recently at a training and there was um, a mentor of mine who was there and received a prestigious award. And they asked the room, there were several hundred attendees. These are all very highly qualified psychologists. And they said, you know, raise your hand if you've been touched by this person in some way, shape or form in your practice, in your life, in your work, in your career, like majority of the hands went up and he started to cry. He was up there receiving the award. And he said, you know, to be honored by people that you respect and, you know, especially among your colleagues is such, you know, beautiful feeling and to have that kind of respect and admiration among other people. But it's not, it's not just for that. It is about what you give. That's the legacy. Wow. Yeah, not just financially of your of yourself, your heart, your soul, everything. How have you worked to create a legacy for your personal life? And how does that differ potentially from your professional legacy? 
Yeah. So going back to my daughter, you know, giving her this opportunity to discover her own true self is an important legacy for me. And she is a descendant of me and my parents and and also is the descendant of true love. Paul and I have a, a powerful love story of how we came together. And that's something that she also inherits. And all of his accomplishments and his life and his family of being, you know, a Basha and Johnson. What a tremendous legacy she gets to inherit and that she still gets to choose her life. You know, she's an extension of our success and also her own success in what she chooses to do. So, you know, all of these things are are important simultaneously she's going to demand the right to be who she wants to be. And as a parent, you know, the parent might become not only disappointed, we could become embarrassed, we could become ashamed of them. This is this dynamic creates all kinds of problems, because it says to the child that they're not enough or worthy of acceptance. And so giving her that freedom and that free will to choose herself, while, you know, I'm not restricting her, but at the same time, she inherits such a wealth of courage and sacrifice, spirituality and family values and work ethic, freedom and liberty and what people fought for and sacrificed for and died for so that she could experience the freedoms that she gets. I want her to know all of those things. I mean, the big idea is that we want our children to have a great sense of who they are, discover their own purpose and meaning to know that they're a part of something so much bigger than themselves. And with that comes great responsibility. I want her to feel that responsibility and duty of service with the courage and honor and integrity. Awesome. Awesome. So if someone wanted to get your book or they wanted to listen to your podcast, where do they find you? Or if they want to get in touch with you, how can people reach you? Yes. Thank you so much. So Addictive Ideologies is the name of our book, and it's how to find meaning and agency when politics fail you. It's an audiobook as well. It can also be purchased through Amazon. Um, I mean, it's everywhere online. So you could just look that up, Addictive Ideologies. The podcast, Optimistic American, you can also find online. Um, there's also YouTube videos that come extracted from that, but you can also find it through different Um, podcast platforms. Just look up Optimistic American. Find me online. I've got my website, bashapsychological.com. If you just look up Dr. Emily Basha, I'm sure you'd be able to find me. Paul and I have also created worksheets that are tips and strategies for entrepreneurs, for business people, for parents, uh, for community members, uh, just how to improve their lives and quality of what they do. So hopefully that's also helpful. Awesome. Emily, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies.